0: Please take your seats. Welcome to the five o'clock teaching service. You picked a good day to come. The weather is fine in Jesus' name. He he says by faith. And we're in the house of the Lord, and we're going to uh, do some end-time teaching. And in this uh, series that we've been having, the end-time, we're looking at various aspects of the end-times. What I'm trying to do is is give you an introduction into the different aspects of eschatology, which means end-time study, and uh, the idea is is that through this series you can then go deeper in study as you wish. Uh, I've already mentioned that when I first came to Kensington Temple, although I had done a theology degree, at Durham University, I didn't know anything about the end times because I don't think they believed in the end times, to be honest, any of the teachers that I had. So I, when I came to KT, I heard Russia Russia was going to invade Israel, and I heard about the Battle of Armageddon, and I heard about pre-tribulation rapture, and I, and I thought, I've got a degree in theology, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. I think all I know is that Jesus is coming back. And so when I heard all these things... Um, and these preachers preaching, and Israel in the end times, I thought, I don't understand what's going on. Where did they get all this thing from? So, it took me a while, to be honest, to begin to get a sort of orientation where I could understand where these preachers were coming about on the end times, and when they were talking about what was happening in the nations, and saying, ah, this is the signs of the end times. And so, what i'm bringing to you is 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 I hope just basic introductory material in which you can have like a skeleton on which you can hang everything on later so that when you hear preachers or teachers or you you get some of those end time books um, there'll be a background for you to um, to understand the context and where and where they're coming from and last week we spent some time looking at um the, what, the, the, the era that we are in, the end time era that we are in right now, and we looked at what, what I called the age of the seven seals in Revelation 6, if you, you remember. And we looked at the age of the seals, seven seals, that's not seals in a circus. That's seals that were broken to open Revelation. Um, well, When I first heard of the seven seals, that's what I thought it was. And that's how little I knew, I never studied revolution, never studied revolution revolution or revelation really at at, at university, it was apocalyptic literature, it was thought to be fantasy and and everything like that. So when I I heard a preacher talking about the seven seals, I thought, well, the seven seals, what about the dolphins, are they coming soon? So, but the age of the seven seals, we looked at that and we compared it with um, Mark chapter 13 and also Matthew chapter 24. And we looked at that last week and it's up on the internet, on the media file. Welcome to all of those of you that are staying at home in your warm rooms, by your fire, drinking hot chocolate. Um, God bless you, but not as much as a blessing for those that came today. They get an extra blessing. And also, blessing to you that watch this during the week. I know a lot of people will watch this during the week. And if you go on the KT Media site, you can can go to the media, and then you go to the place where it says Series... And then you'll see end time truths, and if you press that, then you get each one that I've done right right next to it. And so last week, we were looking at what happens and how we know that the end of the end times is coming very soon, and we looked at things such as rumors of wars and wars and all these things. And uh, I said that uh, Matthew 24, verse 9 was the key of last week, but all these things are merely the beginnings of birth pains then they will deliver you to tribulation. And these birth pains, and I was saying that what's happening throughout history since Jesus prophesied this is that things are happening, but just like a woman who's going to give birth, what happens is is that the contractions to begin with are less intense and further apart, aren't they? But the, but the more or the closer you get to when the child's going to be born, the contractions get more frequent and more intense. And so when we looked at some of the signs that were bringing us into the end times, that will bring us into the age of tribulation, uh, wars and famines and things like that, we saw, for example, wars that throughout history there's always been wars, but the wars were getting stronger and more frequent. I mean, it's, it's not even a generation ago that we had World War I and World War II. But anyway, I don't want to get too much into that, but that's what we were talking about, and we believe that we're at the end of the Age of the Seals and about to enter into the Age of the Trumpets that's in Revelation, and then the Bowls of Wrath and the Tribulation. Next week, I'm going to have an end time um, timeline up on the the, uh, screen behind me because I'm going to be speaking about the rapture next week. And so when we do that, I'll have the age of the seals and everything. You'll be able to see a basic timeline behind me of what's happening and when it will happen, all right? But that's that next week. But I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, Um, and we're not going to be doing that today because today I want to speak to you on the subject of the Antichrist. You, You hear in popular um, preaching and also outside the church, most people have an understanding or a concept of the Antichrist. That sometime there's going to arise um, an Antichrist figure that is going to have perhaps a one-world government and uh, is going to oppose and persecute the church in Israel, and then in the end, Jesus will come and overthrow the power of that Antichrist. Okay, well, where does all this come from? Today, I want to give you an orientation of the Antichrist and what that means. Please turn with me to the first letter of John and uh, verse 18. The first letter of John, verse 18, because here we actually have the word Antichrist. First letter of John, verse 18. One John, sorry, one John 2.18. What what am I doing? One John 2.18, first letter of John, chapter 2, verse 18. All right. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also." And so here in this passage, First John, remember if you were with us for the first session of End Times Truths. If you weren't, you can see it on the media free on kt.org. I preached or taught a message on the soon coming King, didn't I? And I was teaching that Jesus is coming, but not just coming, he's coming soon. And how that whenever the Holy Spirit is poured out in revival power there is a corresponding quickening in God's people of expectation that Jesus is returning because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of expectation. When the Holy Spirit is poured out in revival power, the people of God are being prepared like a bride ready for the coming of Christ, and their expectation increases. And that's why in the New Testament, Jesus' is teaching, he was saying, hey, you don't know what time I'm going to come, so... Be ready. Don't be like the uh, the, ten virg- the ten virgins, the virgins that didn't have oil in their lamps and the midnight cry came out and they weren't ready. We looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 and, and it said be sober and alert so the coming of Christ doesn't come like a thief in the night. And here John is writing and he says, little children, it's the last hour. So in his spirit, in his spirit, it, it, the Holy, he, John was saying, "Do you know what? No man knows what the hour is, but I'm ready." And you say, "Well, he was mistaken." Two thousand years later, Jesus hasn't coming. That's not hasn't come. That's not the point. He was ready. We need to be ready. The church will not be revived until it gets a sense that Jesus could come very, very soon. A sense from the spirit, because the church should always be ready, shouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't it be wrong to say, oh well, the church didn't need to be ready for two thousand years? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is warning. Now oh, the church, and we'll think, ah, oh, well, if it hasn't come for two thousand years, he probably won't come for another hundred. That's exactly what Jesus is warning. So the church should always be ready, always on edge. always, always expectant, as if the Lord may come in our lifetime. And John certainly was. He says, it's the last hour. And you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. Now, the first thing I want to say about the Antichrist, or the word Antichrist, is that when we talk about the Antichrist, we often think of someone that is an opponent and against Christ correct. But actually, the Greek word for Antichrist, which is Antichristos, anti does not mean just against. The Greek word anti means in the place of. You know it? In the place of. And you will see today that the Antichrist isn't just coming because he's anti-Jesus, anti-Christian. It's more than that. The Antichrist wants to take the place of Christ, wants to step in Christ's shoes. So the Antichrist is more than just somebody that doesn't like Christianity or Jesus. The Antichrist wants to take the place of Christ. We also see here that it says, even now many Antichrists have come. What does this also mean? There is going to be one Antichrist, the Antichrist, John says, but also he says, but there are many Antichrists that we've had to deal with. What does that tell us? It also tells us that the Antichrist is an Antichrist spirit. And we'll see from Revelation that the devil is behind the Antichrist, the Antichrist who will come, but also the spirit of of antichrist. So the antichrist spirit can work through a number of people or institutions and we can see that working through church history. In fact, it's interesting because when you look through church history, many times the Christians of the day believed that they had recognized who was the antichrist. And right at the beginning of church history, one of the greatest antichrist figures that Revelation seems to be aware of, was the Emperor Nero. You ever heard of the Emperor Nero? Persecuted the Christians horrendously. And he was identified. People at the time thought, this is the Antichrist. Well, he certainly was an Antichrist. And the Antichrist spirit was working powerfully through him. But we know he wasn't the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist will manifest right at the end times, and will be dealt with by Jesus Himself. And so, right through church history, the reformers, for example, the great reformers, Luther and Calvin, they identified the Antichrist as the Pope. Because at the time, Roman Catholicism was so involved with superstition that it persecuted the word and it persecuted the people. And so, the Pope at that time, was identified as the Antichrist. And I believe that not all popes, not the present pope, for example. I believe he's a born-again believer. That's what I believe. I don't know him, but that's what I believe. So, I'm not anti-Catholic. I'm not. But certainly, some of the popes, even though Catholics are embarrassed by some of the popes during the Renaissance period, certainly some of the popes did carry an Antichrist spirit with them. And also the Reformers didn't just say that the Pope was the Antichrist. The Reformers, and often Reformed people even today, who who, who follow the strict teachings of the Reformers, thought that the Roman Catholic Church itself and its teaching was the Antichrist. So sometimes you meet Christians, and if you say, well, what is the Antichrist? They will say it's the Roman Catholic Church. What I'm trying to say is that the Antichrist spirit can come in many types of forms, and so you can't just identify it here, there or everywhere. It manifests in different ways and at different times. They used to be, I mean, when Napoleon was ravaging Europe, many people thought that Napoleon was the Antichrist. And of course, when Adolf Hitler came to I mean, if, if you'd been around, when Adolf Hitler came, you'd have thought this, surely this, surely this must be the Antichrist. I mean, how more Antichrist can you get? And to kill millions and millions of Jews and try and kill a whole, you know, the whole of God's natural people's race. Try and unite Europe under that Nazi philosophy. And, and Hitler was an antichrist figure because people treated him like a Christ, didn't they? So he tried to step into the place of Christ. So many antichrists have come throughout church, church history. Many more may come. They can be great world political figures or... They can be somebody that lives next door. It depends on their attitude towards Christ. Notice also that at the end it says that the, that verse 22, that the Antichrist is a liar. The Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit seeks to replace truth, especially of who Jesus is, with lies. Now, all Antichrist teaching will be a lie But remember, the antichrist, the word antichrist, is focused on replacing Jesus. So the antichrist, the antichrist spirit, an antichrist teaching or an antichrist organization is seeking more than anything to replace Jesus, to unseat Jesus. It is focused more than anything on the person of Jesus. And here we see... Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So, obviously, the Antichrist says, he's not the Christ. Jesus is not the Messiah. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. They might not call themselves Christ, but they will act as if they're Christ. They will act that they are the saviour of the world. They will act that they are the great redeemer. They will step in his place. He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Son. Now, this is very powerful because do you know, if you do, that Islam is an antichrist religion? It's an antichrist religion, and they agree. It's not, they agree. They would agree with me that they're an antichrist in the way that we believe in Christ because they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the biggest bone of contention. They say that God has no son. Therefore, right, what we're reading right here in 1 John, Islam is an antichrist religion. The Quran is an antichrist book. It's antichrist, not just because it's against Christ, but because it actually tries to step into the place of Christ. For the Father and the Son in Islam Read Allah and His Prophet, very very similar, and in fact, in in, in many ways, um, the the way that Muslims treat uh, the the Prophet Muhammad is is almost. Well, how can I say? Almost it. Sometimes they revere the Prophet more than we revere our Christ. You say, what do I mean? I mean, you draw a cartoon of Jesus, and we'll get over it. Jesus is. Big enough to take it, you go out and draw a cartoon of Muhammad, a man, not the son of God, but a man, and you know what's going to happen if you publish that. Churches will be burnt all over the world. You hear what I'm saying? In fact, Muslims, especially radical Muslims, are more concerned about what you say about the Prophet than Allah. So can you see that that um, Muhammad is an antichrist figure? You say, what does that mean? Remember, and anti- he is put in the place of Christ. And so the devotion that the Islam have to Muhammad, he is an antichrist figure. You're hearing where I'm coming from. And so it's interesting, isn't it, that John is focusing on the Son. Not he who denies the healer or he who denies, but he who denies the Son, the Father, and the Son. Very, very interesting. Now, if we um if we go now to 2 Thessalonians, and chap- 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we have some more teaching about the Antichrist. Now, I always say that when you're studying a subject in the Bible, always go to where it's taught most clearly first, and then go to other areas. So we will be looking a little bit at Daniel, and we will be looking at a little bit of Revelation. But Daniel and Revelation are apocalyptic literature. What does that mean? It means that they're not as straightforward as Paul, who is just simply trying to teach as plainly as possible into a a situation. And the thing about apocalyptic literature is then when you read these great visionary things, sometimes in apocalyptic literature, Daniel and Revelation... um, The the prophet can be looking at the past, then suddenly thrust, and he's looking at the future. Then suddenly he's back in the present, and you have images of creatures. And you have to ask yourself, what is prophetic, what is symbolic, and what is literal? And there's ways of applying principles to doing that, but it's not as straightforward as when Paul the teacher is just giving you, you know, teaching on it. So you build your doctrine where Scripture is specifically teaching about a subject and where it's most clearest. So let me get myself into um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. And if you want to study the end times, which many of you do because you're here... Um, I always say, if you, re- my doctrine of the end times is based primarily on one and two Thessalonians because what's taught there is taught very clearly. I then move from one and two Thessalonians into you know, the Gospels, Revelation, and and other things. And I I would encourage you to do that, to to start from the 1 and 2 Thessalonians where things are very, very clearly taught and then move into Revelation. Don't start in Revelation. You'll never get out of it. (laughs) Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, brethren, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, and that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. When the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth... That they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them a strong delusion, that they would believe the lie, and they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So there's a quite a bit here, isn't there, about the this figure of an antichrist figure. We see that um, um, this is a this is a man. And in, in the first few verses, it says, look. And Thessalonians were so expectant of Jesus that they actually thought he was going to come that very day or the next day. And In fact, later on in Thessalonians, Paul says, get back to work, you lazy, because if you don't work, you won't eat. It's, it's like those people when they think that, and we've seen that, haven't we, recently in America, somebody said that the Lord was coming back and gave us the time and the date. And those that believed, well, if the Lord's coming back on that day, why, why go to work tomorrow? What you ought to do is get yourself a nice big juicy credit card and go out and have some fun. Because when Jesus returns, all debts will be cancelled. That's how crazy it is if you really do believe he's coming. And, and, and so what was happening in Thessalonians, they were doing a similar thing. They were saying, what's the point? What's the point? You're going to go to work? now. what's the point? You're going to marry the girl? Nah. No, what's the point? There's no point. Jesus is going to come back almost any second, so let's just sit back and wait. And Paul has to deal with this overexcitement. He says, I just want you to know, don't be shaken, because something has to happen before he returns. Sometimes you hear preachers, and preachers well, saying, Jesus could come tonight. He could come at any time. You don't know when he's going to come. Are you ready? If Jesus came tonight, well, he won't come tonight. Why? Because there's certain things that have to happen before he returns, all right? And, and then people says, "No, he'll come like a thief in the night, not to the church, not to the awakened church. 1 Thessalonians, one Thessalonians five says, "He will come in a thief in the night, but not to us that are sober and alert in the spirit. We'll be the virgins with the oil. We'll be ready. We're ready. We're ready. We're looking. We don't know the day or the hour. But, but we'll see the signs increasingly. So he's saying, look, don't deceive you. That day will not come unless the falling away and the man of sin is revealed. This is a particular, peculiar individual who will be revealed. And look, here he is. He's the Antichrist. Not only does he oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or worshipped, so, but he will sit as God. Antichrist. Not just anti-God. I'm going to be God. This is the spirit of Satan, isn't it? Satan's antichrist spirit. Do you remember the story of Satan? He said, I'm going to be God. I'm going to anti in the place of. I'm going to usurp God. I'm going to kick God out and I'm going to be God. And him and a third of the angels were thrown down in that rebellion. He said, I will make my place in the Most High. So Satan tried to replace God. And here we have a satanically inspired antichrist individual also wanting to replace God. The mystery of lawlessness. But then also in verse 7 and uh, verse 6, we hear this restraining. It says, you know what's restraining him, that he may be revealed in his own time. Verse 8, and the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume. Everything is in God's hand and God's time. And so, the Antichrist cannot be revealed until God is ready. And the restraining force is God's will, God's power, and God's spirit. And so, this is interesting because when you look at the history and you identify Antichrists, it's like there's a figure and you think, is this the Antichrist? And they're manifesting the Antichrist spirit, yes? In whatever period of history that is, and persecution, etc., etc., it's quite an interesting study to do. And the Antichrist gets bigger and stronger and bigger and stronger, and it looks like nothing can stop the Antichrist. Then God says, Not yet. Happened with Nero, happened with, I mean, French people probably don't like me calling Napoleon an Antichrist. Um, but, um, you know, Napoleon nearly took Europe, didn't he? I mean, that man, there was times, and this is the thing about the Antichrist spirit and the Antichrist. There are times when the Antichrist seems unstoppable. And there are times when Napoleon was unstoppable. I mean, it it wasn't just he was a great general. It wasn't just he had a great army. There was something on him. He was unstoppable. And then, pow, goodbye. And then you think of Adolf Hitler. There is the classic, because that's the nearest thing, I think, that we've had to the full-blown Antichrist. And there was times when he was unstoppable, blitzing Europe. Everything the generals couldn't believe. Who is this man? We're the generals. He's a corporal. And yet, everything he does succeeds. And they begin to worship him. And he gets to a crest. And it looks like he's going to invade Britain. He's going to finish what he started. Britain, just as a little bit of a story, Britain has a day of prayer. He halts his tanks instead of destroying them on the beaches of Dunkirk. And then we send a a few little boats and we rescue the army. And then God begins to say, enough is enough. And by the end of it, he's committing suicide in his bunker. See what I'm saying? But there's times... What it looked like it was unstoppable. So as these antichrists have arisen, you've seen the spirit at work with them. We've seen them. It seems like nothing can stop them. And then God says, not yet. It's not time. And that, what, that antichrist is brought back down. You hear what I'm saying? Now, that should be encouraging because when another antichrist or the antichrist whether it's a spirit of antichrist, whether it's an institution or a false religion that seems to be unstoppable, whether it's a government that seems to be unstoppable, a dictator that seems to be unstoppable, unstoppable, and everybody's worried and quaking in their boots, we Christians should not be fearing. We should say, seen it before, and we know how it ends. And as bad as it gets, God will end this one way or the other, and if it, this is the Antichrist, it will be ended with the coming of Christ in glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, let, let's go a little bit further. Let's go to um, Daniel. Daniel chapter s- um, 7. Because I've given you this, just this little background. Now we can go a little bit with this in our background because we see what we read in Thessalonians that Jesus is going to return and slay this person um, at the brightness of the coming. And the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, the coming of the lawless one. Interesting, sorry, just I've taken you to Daniel, but there in Thessalonians, we have the coming of Christ, but we also have the coming of the Antichrist. You see, everything that the Christ does, the Antichrist wants to have. He is a counterfeit He is a counterfeit, he is an antichrist, and he even has his own coming. And when we come to Revelation, we'll see he even has his own sending. As the father sends the son, so the dragon will send the beast. Here we are in Daniel um, chapter 7. I don't want to get too much in detail, because you can get lost in the detail. This is just about giving you a framework. Um, Here... Um, And, of course, Daniel is, if you want to go further into study, if you really want to understand Revelation, if anybody can, uh, you also need to read Daniel because much that is in Revelation reflects that which is in Daniel. And so those two books should really be be studied together. All right, so we have um, the vision of four beasts in chapter 7, but let's get straight down to verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, Daniel 7:7, 7, 7, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This is echoed in Revelation, as we'll see. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes, the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous, arrogant words. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Doesn't that remind you of the beginning of Revelation? His throne was a fiery flame and its wheels burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. Thousands of thousands ministered to him. Verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning of the flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they have dominion taken away from them. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season at a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So you can see there the coming of Jesus, can't you? But you can also see... Could someone get me a tissue, is that all right? You can also see that with the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus, that before that, there was a revelation of these horns, correct? And out of these ten horns came one horn in particular, and that horn was an arrogant, haughty horn. That is, thank you very much, the picture of um, the, the Antichrist, and um, if we go, if we go forward oops, a little bit, we can read a little bit more of this. Same chapter, Daniel seven, and verse seventeen. Now, those great beasts which are four are four kings. This is important because we hear about beasts in the Revelation which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom then forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the four beasts. Uh, And then, let me, then verse 20. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth, spoke pompous words. And I was watching the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came. So this is just—I don't want to get I, I, I don't want to get sucked into this. But again, can you see a picture of Jesus's coming in Daniel? But can you also see that before the day of the Lord, that there is a um, a, a rising of opposition against the saints, and that there is this particular horn? There are these beasts that are coming to attack the people of God. And a particular horn, that is a picture of the Antichrist. Please turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. Again, I'm just giving you a background to this. We we could spend a whole series on Daniel and Revelation and get lost in it all. It would be wonderful fun. But this is just to give you... Actually, Revelation 13, that's where I'm going to start. We just, we've just read a little bit of Daniel. See how it's echoed here. Revelation 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horn ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and mouth like a mouth of the lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Then verse 11, continue. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwells on the earth by those signs that he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and has lived he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead that no one, no one might buy or sell except who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of the beast. Here is with wisdom. This always reminds me of Iron Maiden's song. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is a human number. His number is 666. Six, six. Now, that's a very good passage. Can you see how we're talking about beasts? Can you see how it's similar to what we read in Daniel And we can do a lot more work. You can't understand Revelation without also making reference to Daniel. Now, what I want you to notice in this passage is this. I said, and this is the main theme I want to get across today, is that Antichrist means in the place of. And in this passage, we see a remarkable in the place of attempt by Satan and two beasts to try and copy in a demonic form the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me me explain. The first thing we see is that um, the dragon, in verse 2, the dragon gives the first beast power, his throne, and great authority. The dragon, which is a picture of Satan, is acting like the father. What did the father give to the son? Authority. He gave him his power, his throne, his authority. So the father gives his authority to the son to do the work of the father. The father sends the son into the earth. The father gives his son the authority to do his work. Well, here we have the dragon who gives the first beast his power, his throne, and his authority. It's like the devil says, go ahead, son, do my work. The devil acting like the father, the devil still trying to be God, and the beast acting like an antichrist, being sent by the dragon like Jesus was sent by the father, with authority from the dragon like Jesus had authority from the father. But that's not where the anti, the in place of, the copying, the counterfeit stops. Look at verse 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marvelled and followed the beast. That's there in verse three. But let's go right. Um, let's 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 verse three. But also we see in verse twelve a reference to this wounding. He exos- the second beast exercised the authority of the first beast. The first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Okay, so we have one reference to this beast, the Antichrist, something happens and he, it's like he returns from the dead. Then we have another reference to it in verse 12, this beast, this Antichrist, something happens to him and it's like he returns from the dead. And then um, the third reference in verse 14, he deceives those he t- and dwells on the earth and makes an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. What is this? This is a demonic counterfeit resurrection. And, and if you see in verse 3, the world believes because of this demonic counterfeit resurrection. It's not a resurrection, but you hear what I'm saying. So the beast is sent by, by the uh, dragon. And then the beast, it's like the, it's like the beast dies and is raised again. Something happens to the beast and people are so amazed. It's like he's raised from the dead. Surely, this is the one that will save us. It's interesting in the story of Hitler. There were many plots to kill him, and, the, and one of my favourite films is called Valkyrie, where a number of high-ranking German generals wanted to get rid of Hitler, and they uh, and, and Tom Cruise is in it, and he takes a bomb and he puts it by Hitler's side, but it doesn't kill him. It should have. It it should. And when Hitler saw that, and those around him who were doubting him, they thought, this is the sign. This is a sign from the heavens that Adolf Hitler will lead us to victory. It's a picture like that. But the Antichrist will have a situation, and it will be a fake sort of resurrection. Or it will be demonic power definitely involved in it. But because of this fake death and resurrection or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, people will be amazed and that will, that will sign, seal, and deliver the fact that for him, he'll do as a Messiah. He'll save the world. Let's trust him. Fascinating, isn't it? And then we have the second beast in verse 11. I said there's two beasts. The first beast is the Antichrist. But you know, Jesus had his John the Baptist, his Elijah figure, The Antichrist, the first beast, will also have his John the Baptist, Elijah figure. It's the second beast. And the second beast testifies to the first beast with great power, miracles, and signs. Verse 13, he even makes fire come down from heaven. Who made fire come down from heaven? Elijah. Can you see the picture that we're seeing? And he points to it. He doesn't say the Lamb of God. But he says, you know, this is who you should follow. So we have a counterfeit John the Baptist. And in verse 11, this counterfeit, listen, this counterfeit, this John the Baptist counterfeit, I saw a second beast coming up from the earth and he had two horns like a lamb. But he spoke like a dragon. Many people believe that the first Antichrist figure is mainly a political figure, he's a king or something, you know, or a political figure. But the second beast, many people believe he is a religious figure or a type of spiritual figure because there's a picture here that he is two horns like a lamb. We know the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here it is again. Here's an individual that wants to be in place of him. Looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. So this is i don't. I got more I could go into, but... As you go through Revelations, you'll see that, as in Daniel, that there's a great rise to fame and power of the Antichrist. Some people talk about Europe, that the Antichrist will come out of Europe. And they speak about the original, I think it was ten nations, I get mixed up. I'm not very good at politics. That there was ten nations, ten stars on the flag, and that they will be the ten horns, and that out of Europe a restored Holy Roman Empire. Some people have said that the, you know, when you talk about Nero being the Antichrist and, 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 and the early Roman, that, 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 that the Antichrist will be a restored Roman Empire. And throughout history, from Charlemagne right through, there has been attempts to restore what they call the Holy Roman Empire, correct? Charlemagne, Napoleon, what was he trying to do? He was trying to unite Europe. Uh, uh, Hitler, what was he trying to do? Unite Europe. And so some people look at the European Union and they say it's, it's, it could be the devil at work. It could be the devil trying to unite Europe. And then you get, perhaps at the right time, a president of Europe. And then it's all set the scene. And I could look at other reasons that point to that. Interestingly enough, um, you know that the European Parliament is in, um, is it Brussels. Yeah, there's two parliaments, isn't there? But there? There is, I think, there is a, there is a European Parliament building in, in Brussels, and it is modelled on a great painting in the Victorian era. A great painting was done of the Tower of Babel. and You can Google it, Tower of Babel painting. A great painting. And the painting, it's not finished, you see, the Tower of Babel. So it sort of does this. It moves up and down. You know, it's like this building. And the European Parliament building was modelled on the Tower of Babel. And one of the mottos of the European uh, uh, Union is that all nations shall speak as one with the language. Now, I'm just throwing these things out. Also, just to show you where people come, I'm not saying anything by it. I'm just showing you where people will come. Do you know that um, the symbol, one of the main symbols of Europe is... Europa. The god Europa. Now Europa, what was that Was The story of Europa, she was a young woman that Zeus carried away. He transformed himself into a bull and carried her away from her island to rape her. And the picture is of a woman on a beast over the waters. And if you read Revelations, you'll see a picture of a woman on a beast over the water. Europa. And so, people are looking at these, at these things, and that's on the, the back of coins and, and, and things like that. And so, so, I'm not giving you full teaching on this. I'm just trying to give you an orientation. So, some people believe that it'll rise out of Europe. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, what, what I say when you hear about all these things about, is this the Antichrist? Is it coming from Europe? You keep an open mind, but you keep an open mind, because you never know how things will change. And, and throughout uh, history, so many people have been convinced that's the Antichrist, are convinced that's, that's the, the Ten Kings, and they haven't. So what we do is we keep an open mind, and we watch how things progress, but we don't get silly. We say, maybe something could arise out of Europe, but maybe something could arise out of Asia, who knows? We'll know at the right time, we keep an open mind. Of course, when Jesus returns at the Battle of Armageddon, I won't turn to it, I haven't got time, uh, read it in Revelation, he will slay the beast and the Antichrist on his return and he will throw them into the lake of fire. They will be dealt with. Well, we've got um, just a couple of minutes where I want to take um, some questions. So need another, just take a BV microphone. Yeah, okay, BV1. Okay, hands up if you've got a question. Uh, Pastor Bruce. Uh, my question is: is that sometimes you read in some of the end-time books that um, the Antichrist is to come during the time of the church? Another time, you read that the church is already taken away? So which of the two is correct? The question is, when does the Antichrist come? Does does the Antichrist come before the rapture or after the rapture? Next week, we'll be looking at the rapture. And there are three different views about the rapture. If you want to know what the rapture is, it's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be looking next week about when the church is caught up. One view is, is called pre-tribulation rapture that before the Antichrist is properly revealed, some people think we might just get a view of him, but we won't be under him, but we might just get a view of him or we won't see him at all, that Jesus will rapture the church and then the Antichrist will really be manifest and really do his thing. But the church will be up having the marriage supper of the land for about seven years during this period before it returns with Christ, pre-tribulation. Some believe in mid-tribulation, that Halfway through this usual seven-year period, we'll look at that next week, that we get a bit of the persecution, we get a bit of the Antichrist, but halfway through, before the bowls really get poured out and stuff, we get raptured to heaven, and God deals with Israel on the earth, and then we come back with Jesus. And then there is a post-tribulation rapture theory that says the church goes through this with God protecting them and with them um, right till the end, and then when Jesus returns, we go up to greet him in the air and come down with him at the same moment. Those are the different ways. So some people believe we'll see, we'll see the, 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 the Antichrist and then very quickly we'll go. Some people say we won't see him. Just depends on what we'll look at next week. Another question? Yep, quickly. Um, they say that uh, Jesus is a messenger of God and he perished from the earth in Calvary. Uh, how come is it that they, they, they say in, in Revelation, they say that Jesus is coming back uh, in rapture and uh, in a, a cloud yeah. and to take uh, holy people with him yeah. and uh, wicked and evil will stay behind. Right. So how is it possible uh, that Satan, the master of uh, deceit and evil, how is Satan going to be defeated by, by God as uh, Jesus' messenger and, not, and is not God himself, that he's just a messenger? Who is just a messenger? Uh, Jesus Christ. Okay. You, okay. Thank you. Well, the first thing is, is that um, you're asking a question that's not really to do with this because Jesus is the son of God. He's more than a messenger. In fact, the Antichrist spirit says that he's just a messenger. That's what the Antichrist spirit says. The Antichrist spirit says that Jesus is just a messenger, just a prophet. But the Holy Spirit, the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of the resurrection, the testimony of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit today says that Jesus is truly the Son of God. He's not dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, ascended into heaven. That's why he can come back to heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he said, I will come back in the same way that you will see me go. But when he comes back, he's not going to be coming back in some small stable. He's going to come back with his fiery angels. And to answer your question, that's when the wicked are going to be punished for their sins and all that don't believe that he died for their sins. So... I hope that puts that in context. One more. Yeah. Okay, we'll should take two asked, more. We'll take sorry. the gentleman. You go ahead and then we'll have that gentleman. Yeah. Okay. Um, I should have asked this last last, last week, but Fine. yeah. Uh, it's just a picture of the uh, abomination that causes desolation. Do you have a picture of what it is like? What is that? The abomination of desolation? Yes. In both Daniel and Revelation and Jesus also in Matthew, refers to the abomination of desolation. And, and, and what is that? It's a picture of the Antichrist or an, or an Antichrist figure going into the temple of God and desecrating it. The thing is, this has happened on a number of occasions. And so when Daniel was prophesying this, um, this happened when the Jews um, returned back to their homelands and during the time of the Greek Empire, uh, a particular wicked Antichrist type um, uh, Roman emperor, sorry, the Greek emperor called Antiochus IV Epiphany, who saw himself as God. He, in one of his wars over Jerusalem, marched in and desecrated the temple and sacrificed a pig there. And that's, you know, and Hanukkah, you know, the Jewish festival of Hanukkah, that's all about the time when the Jews got the temple back and purified it. So, Many people say that's what Daniel was speaking about, and I'm sure he was. But also, this happened again in AD 70 when the Romans destroyed the temple, as Jesus prophesied. They desecrated the temple. But some people also believe because the Antichrist keeps doing the same thing. Do you see what I mean? There are patterns. So some people believe that at the end times, that in some way, now whether there is a new temple, if there's a new temple built in Jerusalem or not, that this Antichrist will seek to desecrate the things of God. Whether he desecrates those things by entering a restored temple in Jerusalem, a physical temple, or whether he desecrates them by his persecution of the church, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait to find out. But it has happened, and it will happen again, but how it happens is hard to see. What Last question. Last question, yeah. Um, it's really not a question, but I wanted to find out what um, you think of a particular school of thought right now. Um, there's a school of thought that um, believes that um, the Book of Revelation says that John wrote what he saw, yeah. and um, the three symbols that was interpreted to be six, six, six was actually three Islamic symbols. Uh-huh arabic symbols right. and the interpretation of those symbols actually means in the name of allah right and um, they also believe that um because islam is the only religion now that um would behead you for not uh, believing that um True. Allah is god and all that yeah. um i just wanted to yeah i hear where you're coming from a very good point um you you, you remember we we are looking to see we are not making decisions on what's what because Otherwise, we'd have said Adolf Hitler was. But we're open to see Antichrist, the Antichrist, but also Antichrist systems and spirits, yeah? So some people have noticed that in Revelation that there is a correlation to some of the things that Islam says. You see, in the Quran, the Quran identifies the beast that comes out of the sea. So it, it identifies a beast that comes, like the beast in Revelation, but the Quran sees that beast as doing work for Islam and Allah. So there's a point. And then you've mentioned the 666. The interpretation of 666 is there's many different types of interpreting that, what it means. Some people say that it, that it stands for the name Nero, and it's talking about that time. And you mentioned the beheading. We know that Islam... Um, beheads people that convert, and if you notice that the beheading of many of the people that are the, um, the martyrs, and you look in uh, Revelation chapter 7, those that have been martyred during that period, the way they've been m- martyred is by being beheaded. And so we look at these things, we look at all these things, and we look out and say, does anything match? But what we don't do is like the Reformers do and say, it is definitely the Roman Catholic Church. Because it isn't anymore. It was then, but it isn't anymore. Could it be in the future? Maybe. Um, Right now, we look out and we see the so-called rise of Islam, and we can see patterns in the Scriptures. It could be that Islam is the final antichrist system, and we keep our eyes open, but that might fall. People thought communism. They thought that communism was the antichrist system. And it looked at times, do you remember those around in those days? It looked like communism would never fall. <sighs> God blew on it. And there are prophecies that just as the Iron Curtain came down, um, so will the Islamic Curtain in the Middle East be brought down. And, uh, and, and, and we don't make decisions, we don't rush in, but we keep back, we keep our wisdom, we keep sober, don't we? And alert, watching carefully, not rushing in and making bold pronouncements, but saying, we're watching, we're alert, we'll see, but whatever happens, we'll be ready. God bless you all. Awesome, thank you, Bruce. Just to let you know, if you want to study further, then you can get this CD at the end.